You're listening to The Sipping Forecast. This is a podcast about all things drinks and the brilliant people who make the industry what it is. So pour yourself something cold and kick back for The Sipping Forecast. I'm Dave Broom. I write about spirits and have been doing it for over 30 years now which is slightly ridiculous. Yeah, I, I'm a journeyman writer about ardent spirits. And I live in Brighton. Actually, I don't. I live in Hove. <laughs> Had to get that in. I did a highly unscientific poll. And you basically come out the top as the drink writer's drink writer of choice. Ooh, that's very flattering. I mean, I'm, I'm Scottish, as you may. Well, you know, but people might not. Yeah, that's nice. You know, we, we don't... I thought I'd lump in with an early compliment to see you know, how you got on. Scottish people get embarrassed when people compliment them. You know, we're just brought up that way. That's wonderful to hear, you know, and flattered and uh, so embarrassed I can't really say anything. How did you get into doing what you do? Well, I studied English at uni, up at Stirling Uni. And then when I left uni... I discovered there are really no jobs for English graduates, especially as it was in those days in the 1980s in Scotland. So I got a job in Oddbins because it seemed, you know, like a lot of fun. And it was a lot of fun. So I was in Oddbins for seven years uh, behind the counter, did WSET up to diploma level. I began writing about music, actually, rather than booze, and then ran a pub. And this is in Bristol. And then when the pub closed down because of lease issues, uh, rather than my landlordism, I got a job on Off Licence News and was features editor there for seven years and began, at that point, really becoming fascinated by spirits in general. So when I went freelance, that's what I began to specialise in. Because it was interesting also because actually in those days, 1990s, 95, there were actually only three people writing about spirits so it kind of made sense from a freelance point of view that I could begin to specialise in that area rather than being yet another wine writer that was it and now three decades under your belt how does that feel uh it it gets increasingly scary as I as I think about the, the length of time and my daughter gets increasingly old and my beard gets greyer how have you been over, over the past few months? In all honesty, up and down. You know, I, I, I think that's one of the, bizarrely, one of the positive things uh, that's come out of all of this shite is that people are honest about their feelings or should be increasingly honest about their feelings. Yeah, I mean, there's been good days, there, there's been bad days, there's been times when I can write, there's been times when I just simply can't you know it's just this weird thing and i know that's the case with a whole lot of colleagues uh, around the world who you're you know in in this kind of area it's just like you're just blocked so yeah i mean it, it's it's a an emotional roller coaster but you know in, in general terms yeah i'm fine i'm healthy i'm being sensible i'm wearing a mask i'm aware of what's going on and looking forward to the vaccine so so yeah yeah i've been i've been fine it's such an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I think there can be a tendency within with people within our our trade and our industry scurrying around doing three hundred things a minute, being absolutely just so 
hectic all the time. And I'm very conscious that myself for at least the past four years have been going, I must just have more time and I must have more time at home. And and then suddenly here it is, seven, seven months of it. And it's just, it's very interesting what happens when that happens not out of one's own choice necessarily yes yes yeah, yeah I, 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 absolutely and i you know it's also the thing you, you don't want to moan because you know I, i've got as we all have you know we, we've got friends in the hospitality industry who are, are really suffering and as i've seen businesses collapse etc you know and you know i i feel desperately for them and you know try and try and help them out as as, as much as possible but also the reality is that there ain't a lot of work about <laughs> you know something will appear and you'll do the work and then boom there is nothing you know this year was going to be a very busy year it was probably going to be too busy to be perfectly honest so i'm not missing the long haul travel i think that is something that's been brought into very sharp focus that, that all of us you know certainly my game and brand ambassadorial game we traveled way too much but at the same time yeah i mean it's you know, something will always pop up in the kind of Mr. Recover way. But yeah, I, I don't really know where the next gig's coming from. But hey. Digging into that a bit, can you see things ever returning to the same degree of, of travel? What are the things that you think are going to stick from all of this? Yeah, I, I would say, thankfully, not uh, the same amount of travel, uh, to, to, to be perfectly honest. One of the real upsides of all of this is the realisation that you can you can do training and you can do talks in a format such as this. It's a bit weird continually talking to yourself. And it's, it's surprisingly, it is surprisingly tiring because you can't read body language, you can't read the room, etc. But there's a lot you can do online, uh, which is good for, I think it's good for your mental health, it's good for the planet, it's good for budgets, for the people who are actually flying you around the world. We did virtual whiskey show last month and managed to do about 300 different talks and events within a week's space, which would have been impossible in, in the actual physical show. You know, we managed to get incredible debates going you know educational classes but you know wider ranging uh discussions which for architectural reasons more than anything else and, and perhaps time reasons as well would have been impossible if everybody had been corralled in in one rather lovely space so i think that's going to continue and i think that's a good thing so what i've been trying to do is think how to be creative within this slightly peculiar frame that we're all working in you know how do you make it more like tv or film and you know how do you how can you engage people while you're just kind of doing this stuff so i i think that is a positive that will continue we don't need to travel constantly around the world telling people to pick up glasses they can do that at a distance again kind of definitely found you know pluses and minuses to it's the pluses uh, we've done various things with people where we've done albeit filmed a bit shonkily because we've been improvising along mm. along the way, but been able to do distillery show arounds and virtual tastings and things with people who would never be able to or want to travel the distance to the distillery and, you know, doing a tasting in a couple of weeks' time with a gang of folk in Japan, which we've never been able to do because of the cost. And so actually I'm going to be able to meet a whole bunch of people through the medium of Zoom, through the screen. On the yeah, flip yeah. side, I so miss, miss being in the pub, actually. I miss pubs and social spaces and banter and being able to... You know, have an impromptu pint. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, that, that is, 
Yeah, I mean, having to kind of plan spontaneous. <laughs> well, there's nothing spontaneous anymore, is it? You, you plan spontaneity is kind of a weird concept. You know, yeah, you just, hey, come on, let's just go for a pint. It's, yeah, it's gone. But uh, the other side is, you know, you, you're getting the message of Brighton Gin out across the world uh, in a way you couldn't have done beforehand. You're, you're actually reaching more people. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you have to look for for upsides. You have to be aware of what the downsides are, but you have to look for upsides, you know, for just to keep yourself sane. But I I, I look forward to to getting the jab and being able to go for a pint with you. You've told us how you've been in business for a pretty long time. You've got you know the the longevity and pedigree is is there. In terms of the shifts that you've seen over that what are the real things that stick out for you i, I think what has changed i mean god everything's changed to be perfectly honest you know i, I began writing about spirits when you know you think about whiskey and think about gin you know back in the 1980s you know even when i'm starting freelance you know i was doing whiskey tasting gin tastings in the 90s and i was it was almost like chasing a bartender down the road going look please just try it <laughs> you know, because everybody was still in this kind of, whoa, you can only really drink vodka. So that's changed. The willingness of people to start drinking spirits, cocktail culture, bar culture, it, it didn't exist. You know, I think we forget how how young all, all of this is. Within a, is it a generation even? You know, we have gone from cocktails being a kind of slightly weird thing that was underground and in hotel bars and everything to suddenly be, becoming de rigueur. Gin, you know, the phenomenal rise of gin. You know, I, I remember back, here we are, 30 years. I remember going to interview Desmond Payne at Beefeater, and he was kind of the only person in that distillery. And it was keeping this tattered flag of gin flying. And I, I don't think Des and his generation of, of, of gin distillers gets enough credit for what they did to simply going no uh, we are maintaining standards we're maintaining quality to, to keep things going but yeah all of a sudden boom you know and and you know <laughs> i've got my nieces are are gin drinkers you know and and they're not just you know one brand they're kind of what well, i want this for this and this for that this for this and they're becoming connoisseurs so so that's changed that's changed fundamentally I think the nature of communication has changed because you've got social media, which didn't exist all these years ago. I do worry about it. You know, Imbibe magazine just said it was, you know, closing down this week. Uh, that's another avenue of communication that's suddenly been lost. So I think the nature of communication has changed and not necessarily for the better. I find it harder to find indeed write articles which people will receive. The rates for writing essentially haven't changed since the 1990s. So, you know, it's not a gig that you you do to make money. So there's a downside of it. But I think the <laughs> the upside, again, the interest of people for knowledge and understanding what a brand means and where it's from and why it is the way it does, that has grown in an unbelievable fashion. And that is a, that's a huge positive. I find it faintly terrifying sometimes. Well, actually, the amount of uh, the amount of knowledge that some people have, you know, have have garnered and gathered, and the passion for it is absolutely—it's really astounding, actually. And I think think back to drinking 
I'm going to focus on gin because it's always been my drink of choice, but drinking it during the 90s where I uniformly was laughed at for it. It was so spectacularly uncool. It was very much the, it's my nan's drink. And just and derided. I mean, generally you get a snort off the off the person behind the bar as well, let alone your your mates. Um, and now to be, kind of be in this position where there's, there's so much passion and knowledge where people have got a collection of 10, 15, 30, 100 different bottles at home. Um, they're into cocktails. I, th- I think kind of it would be really interesting to see if all of the interests that people have developed over lockdown with cocktails and mixing and and really taking interest in the the recipes and the ingredients rather than just a mechanism to get pissed. It'd be so interesting to see if that lingers on. I remember again, you know, the, the early gin talks that, that I, I was doing, I would always be asked, why does gin make me cry? <laughs> it was an absolute staple question. I never get asked that now. Never, ever get asked that now. I remember, I also remember going to a, a bar in a hotel in Brighton and asking for a Negroni. And they were saying, sorry, 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 sir, uh, we don't have any Negroni, but but we do have some Peroni. <laughs> you know, I had to be kind of physically hauled off uh, said bartender by my wife. But, you know, the way that that knowledge has spread it is absolutely fantastic. And do you see that spreading out into other spirits, into brown spirits, particularly into whiskies? There's a lot talked about the growth of rum and rum's yeah. going to be the next prince in town. What's What do you see from your perspective? I think if you look overall, whiskey is is moving up, you know, inching up. But it's still a massive, massive category. Uh, there's now 140 distilleries in Scotland. There were 70 when I started writing. You know, there's 35 whiskey distilleries in England. There's a thousand distilleries in, in France making whiskey. So yeah, there's whiskey getting made all around the world. And people are quite open to the fact that whiskey can come from non-classic countries. And that's brilliant. That's fantastic because there's lots of new flavours uh, coming up. And it stimulated the Scotch industry, I, I would say, in, in, into being more innovative. Uh, rum does finally appear to be gaining traction. At last, I'm a huge Rum fan. Yeah, I'm very wary about saying it. it's the next big thing. Uh, but yeah, there does appear to be a real genuine interest. And again, you know, uh, I, I was tasting, there's 10 rum distilleries in Scotland now, uh, for example. There's amazing rums coming from, from all over the world. Tequila and mezcal, we don't necessarily see it as much over here. But, you know, if you go to the States, where, where the majority is being sold, yeah, I mean, incredible, incredible spirits coming out there. Sustainability issues, uh, certainly are in Mescal. But, yeah, high, high quality. Everybody knows how to make good good stuff. Everybody knows how to make good gear. We, we are in the golden age of spirits, to be honest. You know, enjoy, enjoy yourself within it. So, yeah, it, it's impossible to keep up. Absolutely impossible. And I think there's that thing of accessibility, and an openness towards encouraging people to try stuff and dip your toe and go and try a, a whiskey. Ask people for their recommendations and give things a go. And I think there's, uh, you know, again, kind of thinking back to when I was younger and particularly as a as a woman, I probably would have felt I would have self-censored myself from ordering or talking about whiskey as a younger person because of the fear of being judged about am I getting it right or wrong or this that and the other and now I'm just like well I want to try just show me these things and what what can tell me what I what am I tasting or experiencing and stuff like that and kind of having that confidence to give things a 
ago and much less, I hope, less gendered, less age specific as well. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, one of the, the most frustrating things within spirits was almost this idea. And I was thinking particularly whiskey and also I would say gin was, it was gendered. You know, it was, it was a drink for grey bearded old men or maiden ants or, or whatever. You know, it was just this kind of weird, weird kind of rules or myths, ideas that the, the industry didn't try and dismantle. The industry was so terrified of losing their core drinkers that they refused to try and engage with younger consumers. And as a result, disaster happened because their you know their core drinker core drinkers were dying. You know, you know, simple as that. I mean, the, the average age of a whiskey drinker in the you know beginning of the century was fifty plus, sixty plus. Blended whiskey was sixty plus. You know, you, you're not going to be aiming at, at that demographic. So I think. Yeah, there's a much greater openness to it. I, I think there's still work to be done, uh, d- d- to be honest, but there's a much greater openness. And certainly going around the world, it's it's brilliant to see there is, a, 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 everybody's younger to me now, but but you know there is genuinely a younger generation coming, coming in and going to, certainly into Asia, Japan especially, where you, you know, it's 50-50 men and women, you know, Taiwan, 50-50 men and women, you know, drinking whiskey. It's it's fantastic to see. You know, that, that's a real, real positive. Have you had a drink of choice over lockdown? Have you been drinking at all over lockdown? I shouldn't presume no. that that you have. I've been drinking less. To be honest, you know, I, I, I've I've done half a dozen whiskies this morning. Uh, so, so I'll usually be tasting something during the day. So I'll, I'll be drinking wine. <laughs> so, I'll have the odd the odd spirit. But you know, I, I don't like drinking whiskey on my own. My wife thankfully drinks gin, so so we will have we will have a martini or a Negroni. Properly made and constructed. Because you know, uh, I, I'm so into Geneva <laughs> at the moment. There's a category that's just beginning to revive itself. There's some amazing, amazing Geneva's coming out. And Geneva kind of sitting there as this this forgotten link. Really, actually, in whiskey story, it's more like a whiskey than it is a, it is a gin. It's it's unfair to call it a Dutch gin. It's not. It's this completely unique thing. It's a fascinating spirit. There you go. There's your future tip. You heard it. Heard it here first. <laughs> oh, and... no, 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 don't take me. With it. <laughs> I, I, I said rum was the next big thing in the 1990s. You know, it's sticking until. I think. Yeah. I, yes, it's had a slow burn on that front, but it is. I, it's I, gradually I coming. So far ahead of my time, where I'm. I'm always wrong (laughs) and uh, tell me about your latest book and I'm going to come back to the martini thing as well because I'm going to ask you for your what your perfect pour construction is is there ever such a mythologized blooming drink as the sodding martini (laughs) crikey yeah but yes tell me about your book the the new book yes I happen to have one here it's very beautiful thing use the power of your imagination to envisage this beautiful book through all good booksellers Support independent booksellers. Uh, if you're in Brighton and Hove, go to City Books. They will have plenty of copies. Yeah, so this is a new edition of a book that was called the, the Gin Manual. So it is now 125 gins. And yeah, it's essentially how to drink gin. So it's a social history of gin and indeed Geneva production, you know, where flavours come from, and then 125 different gins and Geneva's all tasted on their own. Then as uh, for gins, as a G&T, Sicilian lemonade, 
as a Negroni, but in different ratios than the Negroni, depending on the flavour of the gin, and then as a Martini, and then the Genevers and cast rested gins, etc., that are tasted in a slightly different way. So it's yeah, it's how to drink gin, you know, how to maximise your your pleasure when you have that bottle of gin. That's it. So I think I did a depressing set of sums once when I worked out how many home cooked meals can I have before I. I'm likely to snuff it. And how many different drinks can I try? And those things. And, and it's not as many as you think. So actually, you want to get out and make your best choices as soon as possible, really. But also get out and explore this huge, huge plethora of stuff that is just, there's such diversity. Not all of it's brilliant, but a lot of it is. And the fact yeah, that you can have such difference within a category, I think. Yeah, I mean, everything that's in this book, I mean, you know, there's 125 in there. There's a few that have been carried on, on over uh, like kind of markers from the first edition. The majority are, are are all new, but everything that's in there has passed the test already. They're all great quality. And the fascinating thing is just finding how how different gins behave in different ways. You know, some are better as gin and tonic gins. Some are better as cocktail gins. And I think one of the fascinating things of looking at this, which is only what five years, four five years after the first edition, is how many of the new gins are clearly more pushed towards martinis and negronis whereas in the first edition most of the gins were still kind of going down the gin and tonic route there's a real kind of shift uh, taking place which makes i I think makes perfect sense uh in terms of commercialization uh, of 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 the product and i'm delighted that brighton gins in because one one of my great frustrations was that you know people forget how long it takes to write books and how long to actually design and print a book. And Brighton Gin launched pretty much the week or two weeks after the deadline had passed in the first edition. So delighted that that, that two expressions are are in this one. It makes me extremely proud and also helps sort out my Christmas presents. So for which I say thank you. And I'm also safe in the knowledge that... My mum doesn't know how to listen to this podcast, so it's absolutely fine. She will still be surprised. (laughs) Looking ahead, if such a thing is possible, I should say, you know, we're talking in the context of we're still, we're midway through the second lockdown. There's going to be another couple of weeks before hospitality can even think about opening up again. We we are in winter. Within that context, I'm going to ask you to look ahead a bit and think about what might be potentially in store generally for our industry but also for you for next year have you got any particular resolutions about stuff you want to do my resolution every year is not to make a resolution you know i i don't do plans i do have i've got a book project which is which i started this year but you know lockdown eventually meant that we just can do the trip so that's looking at it's called the sense of place so it's looking at place and community within scotch whiskey so fingers crossed come march for i'm working with an amazing photographer on it so light's going to be better in, in march so hopefully we can pick that up uh, on there i got new edition complete rewrite new edition uh, the one whiskey atlas which have to get started next year. There's a couple of film projects underway. So, yeah, mm. I mean, it, it's kind of everything that, that was going to be happening this year has now kind of been shifted into next year and compressed into next year. So, fingers crossed, you know, with with everything that, that we'll be able to kind of get all that up and running. In terms of what the world is going to look like, you know, it's, well, less travel, I think. I think everybody's got to be sensible about that. Also, you know, I I do I I'm really really worried about about the hospitality trade, you know, because 
you know, how many people can survive this? You know, January is always the worst month. Mm. You know, you know, so much of of the hospitality, especially the bar trade, so much of the bar trade, any of the profits uh, which will tide people over the lean period post Christmas, you know, is in this run up, and they're all going to be closed. So. Sadly, you know, I think you know you, we will see an enormous cull. Will they come back? I wonder. You know, I, I I'm genuinely, genuinely concerned uh, about what might happen. And I think but, also, but, and particularly but, for those the small indies, the owner operated places actually I'm thinking in terms of kind of you know Brighton and Hove's landscape. Actually, for me, it's the brilliant backstreet boozers and slightly odd eccentric small little intimate places that make it such a great place and also they're just having such a such a kicking and it they don't have like you said the you know the resilience the financial resilience to be able to carry them through this period and yeah generally you know January and February are appalling year in year out so all I can say is please if you were thinking about doing dry January next year please have a year off and support your local pubs and producers and restaurants I, I absolutely, I do wonder, you know, whether, you know, given things might ease around about Christmas, the vaccine's going to come in, fingers crossed. Well, the vaccine is going to come in. Maybe that will help people to kind of go out and go, right, okay. Now, not to go absolutely crazy, but actually then not do the dry January, but actually go out in January and go out in February and almost like a, a delayed festive season takes place, in which case that will aid uh, you know, the, especially the you know the independent sector. I feel for for, for the guys who are working under under pub codes as well, because pub codes are only interested in you know they're only interested in the bottom line rather than people. Uh, I, I hate to say. It. So fingers crossed. You know, I think we we have to. We've got to be safe. We've got to be sensible. I say all of this, but you know, even when pubs were open and you had to fill in the forms and etc., I was still kind of pretty wary about going in. To be honest, you know, I, I went to a few pubs, you know, and I did the mask and paid myself, etc. But at the end of it, I'm still thinking, but who else was there? You know, you know, I, I think it's going to take a while psychologically for people to feel that they're able to go out. Everything revolves around this vaccine, you know, to, to be perfectly honest. Finally, I'm going to hold you to the, for somebody who cannot make a martini, but who really wants to master the art, Perhaps for purposes of seduction or perhaps just because it's just a good thing to have in your armory. Talk me through the beginner's guide to a brilliant martini. Uh, the beginner's guide to, uh, which is the way I did it for, for the book, because I was having to taste like six martinis next to each other because you can't just have, you can't have one martini, you have to have six. But, you know, if you've got different gins, if you deal with different gins, you can't just look at one and then half an hour later look at another you have to be able to compare and contrast so i did the kind of duke's martini serve which is the bottle of gin is in the freezer and as long as it's over 40 percent, it's fine in the freezer so the gin is really really cold the vermouth is in the fridge the glass if you can and you have space is in the freezer as well you need to dilute it ever so slightly this is something that alessandro doesn't do at duke's and that's why you can only ever have to maximum at Jukes. For the book, I did either four to one, like four parts gin to one part vermouth, or five to one, five parts gin to, to one part vermouth. Depends how wet you wait. That's the ratio, you know. Everything's cold. Everything's very, very cold. Bit of vermouth in there, measure it out. Gin in there, a little bit of water, or even better, you know, once you work out your, your ratio, you can just bottle it up. 
is a great one to take to parties. When those days come again. If you, if you are having a party, you know, why not batch up martinis or Negronis? Because it's an easy way to do it. As long as you dilute. You, you do have to dilute because you're not going to be shaking or stirring. But as long as you dilute it, there you have it. You've got your drinks ready. That's the way to do it. So, so, so honestly, martini is, is a really easy drink. The important thing to remember about martini is it's your drink. So you are the only person. It's the one drink that a, a bartender cannot make and dictate to you what a martini is because they will always ask you what kind of gin you want, how dry you want it, etc., etc. You are the one that is going to be making it. So I think the last last little tip I have on martinis is don't be scared about making them wet. And by wet, I mean having slightly more vermouth and diluting the hit of the gin down. Don't be scared about that. If that's the way you like it. Amazing stuff. Dave Broom, prince amongst men, legend amongst spirits writers and just all round general good guy. Thank you so much for having Natter to us on the Sipping Forecast. Yeah, absolute treat to be on. Thank you.